Uh, would you pray with me as we open God's word? Almighty God, we um, confess today that you are God and there is no other. And we thank you for your word as we have already prayed today. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take this word that is living and active and let it come in and work in our hearts to, to divide the truth from the lie, the direction that you, Almighty God, desire us to go, and the character you desire us to, um, to live out. So open our hearts, Lord, open your word to us today as we study. May it bring honor and glory to you. May our lives be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to talk about the grumbling life today. I know that none of you are grumblers, so you don't have to listen very hard. But um, there are people in the world who are grumblers. I was a grumbler as a little kid. Um, I remember a time uh, going to Disneyland, and we stopped along the way to have breakfast with my mom and my dad. And I can remember grumbling at breakfast. Why do we have to eat this food? Why can't we just get moving to Disneyland and enjoy the day at Disneyland? I grumbled all the way through my pancakes. I remember getting in the car and grumbling that we were not there yet. You know, Dad, are we there yet? I grumbled there. I remember getting into Disneyland and going to some of the rides. And if you've ever been to Disneyland or uh, Disney World, um, they are trying to set the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest line. Um, and I remember getting in line and grumbling the whole time that I was in line, that we couldn't get into the ride uh, more quickly, and so I grumbled. I remember grumbling about the weather. It was, it was hot, and uh, little beads of sweat were on my brow, and I grumbled about that. I grumbled because um, we didn't go to the place that I wanted to eat uh, while we were at Disneyland. And, of course, I grumbled at the end of the day when Mom and Dad said it's it's time for us to go. My life at Disneyland, that day at Disneyland, was marked by grumbling from the beginning to the end. And I know that you can't always remember your life if you were a grumbler, but if you've had kids or grandkids, you know that uh, grumbling among kids can become a, um, an art form. They just grumble. But I always wonder where they learned that art from. And dare I say they have learned it from us. We are grumblers by nature. 
It was kind of Adam and Eve in the garden where grumbling started, or maybe even farther back, maybe with Satan in the holy place, grumbling before the Almighty God saying, I don't like the way you're doing things here. I want some glory for myself. He grumbled. And I think he taught that grumbling uh, at least in a hidden form to Eve and to Adam as they would take the fruit, kind of actually grumbling before God that they knew the better way to go and why would God withhold them? That's the message that, that Satan told Eve and Adam that surely, surely God has not told you not to eat of everything. They grumbled and grumbling has been part of our sin nature ever since. And so we come to uh, Jonah chapter 4. We have seen Jonah run toward Tarshish. We have seen Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. We have witnessed Jonah being vomited up on the shore. And now Jonah goes to Nineveh. He arrives at Nineveh. Let me read the chapter for you. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And that is, remember that God had relented from bringing destruction on Nineveh. And that relenting has angered Jonah exceedingly. And last week we talked about the, the greats. The number of times that in the book of Jonah the word great is used. And here it is used of Jonah that he is greatly angered. And he prayed to Yahweh and he said, Oh, Yahweh, isn't this what I said when I was yet in my country? Now, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Now, therefore, O Yahweh, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And Yahweh said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went outside the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it, and the shade of it till he should see what would take, would become of the city. Now Yahweh, God, appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad greatly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up, the next day, God appointed a, a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. 
Yahweh said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there is more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Jonah was a grumbler. He grumbled in chapter 1, as it were, when God said, go to Nineveh, and he said, I'm not going. In this chapter, we see um, God appointing the, the plant to, be, to grow, and he appointed the worm to attack the plant. And remember, back in chapter 1, God appointed a storm to come, and in chapter 2, God appointed a great fish. And God continually, in each of these chapters, continues to appoint Jonah to go and preach of God's grace, and preach of the need of repentance. But we realize in in chapter 4 that Jonah didn't go because he was responsive in simple obedience to God for who God was, that Jonah goes, as we find, because he had to go. He didn't want to go. His life had really been changed not one iota while he sat in the belly of that fish. Sure, he prayed and he called out to God, but we see the heart of Jonah best in chapter 4 when he says, I, God, I knew you would do this. I didn't want to go. In fact, there's a, there's a hope in Jonah's life that maybe, just maybe, the city will be destroyed anyway. Maybe God, who is good and compassionate, will say, well, these people really aren't worth saving. Let's just destroy the city anyway. Jo- Jonah sat on that hillside waiting for, for God to work. It's interesting here that Jonah uh, makes known that he knows the character of God. He even spells out what was written by um, Moses or um, whoever wrote Exodus. And in Exodus chapter uh, 34, God is calling Moses back up to the mountain to give him new tablets to replace the ones that Moses destroyed when he found the people in great sin. Chapter 34, verse 2, we read, Be ready in the morning, God says, and come up to the Mount, Mount Sinai and present yourself there before me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning, and he went up to Mount Sinai, and as Yahweh had commanded him, and he took in his hand two tablets of stone. Yahweh descended in a cloud and stood with him there. And proclaimed his name, the name of Yahweh. And 
Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, the I am, the I am, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the children's children, to the third and fourth generation? God is a God of justice. He will deal with sin, but he is first motivated by um, his great compassion and love. And Jonah knows that. He quotes from that portion of the Old Testament. He knew that truth. And yet that truth did not move him. In verse 5, we find an um, interesting thing. Well, in verse 4, uh, Yahweh says, do you well to be angry? To which Jonah really, at this point, doesn't answer Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city. Now, it's worthy to do a little study if you want to take some time and look what the Old Testament has to say about the east. Most, when we walk away from God, we move toward the east. In uh, Genesis uh, Chapter 3, verse 24, and he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. Adam and Eve are sent out to the, that's the west, sent out to the east. That's where they leave the garden, and God sets his guard there. Genesis chapter 4, then when after uh, Cain murders Abel and they have, God has that whole uh, conversation with him, it says, then Cain went away from the presence of Yahweh and settled in the land of Nod, which was east of Eden. He moves away from the garden. He moves away from the presence of God. In Genesis 13, Abraham settled in the land of Canaan. And remember that Abraham came from the east and moved to what would be called the promised land. While Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom, he moved away. The men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against Yahweh. Leviticus chapter 1, and the priest shall bring to the altar and wring off the head and burn it on the altar, talking about the sacrifice, and its blood shall be drained out. Um, the words there are the east side of the altar. He should remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side, which is the place of ashes. Judges chapter 6, for whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come and attack them. 
We go to the east when we move away from God. The trouble for Israel often came from the east. Isaiah chapter 2, for you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east, like fortune tellers in the, of the Philistines. They strike hands with the children of foreigners. Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, over my sanctuary when it was profaned and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate, over the house of Judah when it went into exile, therefore behold, I am handing you over to the people of the east for a possession. And they shall take their encampments among you and make their dwellings in your midst and you shall eat of your fruit and drink and they shall drink of your milk. Jonah moves to the east. Now remember Nineveh is already in the east so Jonah's moving farther away from God. You know, it reminds me as we read um, verses 6 through 10, I'm I'm reminded that so often as um, people, we are happy when things go well. We are happy with the blessings of God. But when things turn the corner, when hard times come, that thankfulness, that happiness quickly leaves us. We, we like when we receive. We like when the focus is on us. J- Jonah liked when the focus was on him, when the plant came and shaded him. But when the plant withered, he was grumbling again. We so many times just want the focus upon us. We want um, the things of this world to be about us. We are by nature from sin in the garden selfish people. And when it's not about us anymore, we turn our hearts to grumbling. We may even turn angry enough to say to the Lord, kill me. Life is just not worth living anymore. We can read it, and there's a sense of humor here. He's said that because a poor plant died, and that was enough to throw him over the edge. God, just take me now. I've done what you wanted me to do, and things are not turning out my way. So just take me now. In my years of being part of God's family, and specifically as I've uh, ministered for the last 44 years or so, I have over and over and over again seen grumbling in God's people. Kind of a 
low-level grumbling. I've been fortunate never to be in a church where somebody stood up incredibly angry, especially at a congregational meeting. I've been blessed not to see that. Well, truth be known, I did see it, but I wasn't the senior pastor. I was just a lowly youth pastor, so it really didn't affect me that much. It was coming at him, and I was in the back with the kids, so we were safe. Um, Jonathan has, um, as the chairman has, uh, of the deacons, has had the deacons reading through this book over the last, I don't know, year, I guess. We've been, and there's a portion of this where the, where the author is called lead, and it's about um, those in charge of ministries, I guess we'd say, and Paul David Tripp is the, is the author, but he writes about grumbling, and it really kind of made me, well, it convicted me. Let's just be honest. He said, grumbling about horizontal difficulty is at once a complaint against the one who lords over those difficulties. So there's difficulties in the church and the pastor becomes the brunt of that anger, even though the pastor may have very little to do with it. But whoever lords over those, those dignities or those uh, complaints come into those difficulties. He continues a little farther on, he says, a community that has developed a culture of grumbling is because of that in spiritual danger. It is simply hard to willingly and joyfully serve the Lord. You don't trust in a way you once did, no matter what your formal theology tells you about his goodness and his wisdom. I think what the author is saying here in uh, some words is that when we are grumblers within the family of God, we are essentially saying something about the one who is Lord of the church. Especially when it's, the focus is like Jonah on us and our happiness or the way we think things should go. He said, I am convinced that the life and service of a leader, and I would say of a church, who is marked by low-grade grumbling, feelings of dis dissatisfaction or conscious complaint, indicate a foundational misunderstanding of the nature of the church and of its calling. I'm reading another book called Messy Truth, and the author of that book says that the church is really a group of messy people helping messy people. We are not a perfect place, and we don't get everything right, but we need to be careful of our 
the nature of our heart, the low-grade grumbling that is there because it says something against the church and a good possibility that when we speak against the church, we speak about the one who is Lord of the church. If we'd only do it my way. I've said numerous times throughout my ministry, Lord, if we could just get all the people out of the church, just me and you, Lord, it would be a good place. And God says, but that's not my plan. My plan was to bring broken people together and using broken people who don't have it all together to help people who are broken come to know the grace of God. The dangerous thing is we don't often even see our problem. We don't think that the grumbling is really part of our problem. It's the problem is somehow out there. And that's the way Jonah was. It's interesting at the last verse here, verse 11, God speaking to Jonah who wants to die. And he said, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. End of story. Don't you just love those television shows or their movies that don't resolve themselves at the end? What? What happened? Or the show that you're watching and it comes to the end of the season and they say, to be continued. Always bothered me when I watched Batman. It always was to be continued. I said, but I want to know what the Joker does. You know, what happens? Batman's all tied up. Does he get free or doesn't he? Things I worried about as a kid. But God kind of leaves it open here. He in his grace. Remember, he's operating in grace all the way through. The storm in chapter 1 was a grace. The calming of the storm was a grace to the sailors. The fish was a grace to Jonah. His message to Nineveh was a grace to the people of Nineveh. And now God continues to show his grace even in the creation of the plant. But we are left at the end. We don't hear Jonah's response. We don't even hear God's response. We hear no chiding. We don't hear God answering Jonah's plea and killing him. We don't even know what, well, we do know what eventually happens to Nineveh. Nineveh is taken over, is destroyed. But I think the end of Jonah chapter 4, the end of the story, the end of the book, brings us to a point as individuals and says, what's your response? What, how are you going to respond to this whole thing? Four ways, four things that are our response very quickly. We need to remember four things. The four things are this. He is God and we are not. 
We need to remember that it's not about us, but it's about God, his kingdom, his glory, and his grace. We need to remember to be thankful for the grace that you got, the received compassion and not condemnation. Don't you love Paul's letter to the Romans in the 8th chapter in the first verse where it says, Now therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not condemning us. He is pouring out his compassion on us. We need to be thankful for the grace that we have. That we can be here. That God has saved us. And we need to remember that we were created in God's image. To exhibit that image to each other and to the world. So as God is merciful, as we read in Exodus chapter 34, as God is merciful, we need to be merciful. As God is gracious, we need to be gracious. As God is slow to anger, we need to be slow to anger. As God is abounding in loving kindness, we need to be abounding in loving kindness. As God is faithful, we need to be faithful. And as God forgives, we need to forgive. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.